Well, if you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Perhaps you've been wondering in an Advent series, when are we going to get to Luke 2? And this is the week. Actually, this is the week both in today's service as well as in our Christmas Eve service in just a few days. Uh, We do have two services this year. I'll explain a little bit more about the heart behind that at the close. But uh, this morning, Miss Angie Mendez is going to come and read Scripture with us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your word capturing for us instruction for how we can live for you. For the way that your word reveals who you are to us and for us. Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that we don't have to go looking for revelation. You have captured it for us in scripture. So today, Holy Spirit, we ask, speak to us through your word. Instruct us how to live for you, that we might bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, typically at some point later in a sermon, I would give a definition for what one of our kind of key words is. But I think this morning I want to start off with some definitions. I find that helpful just because it helps us all work 
in, in the same understanding, to, to come to a place of understanding the same thing as we're talking about the advent of joy. And as a reminder, Advent simply means arrival, coming or arrival of something. So today we're looking back to the arrival of joy in Jesus Christ as he comes to earth as a baby, and we're looking forward to the eternal arrival of joy as well. So we're kind of looking back and we're looking forward, but in the midst of that, we are living in this tension. And it's easy to lose heart in the midst of that tension, isn't it? longing and waiting. They're not a great combination for things like patience, are they? Or joy. But we all long for a joy that isn't fleeting. We are given that as a gift through Jesus Christ. Too often we confuse the fleeting emotion or the the fleeting, excuse me, feeling of happiness with this deeply settled inner emotion of joy. I appreciate Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' definition of this. Joy, he says, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I've read this definition multiple times over the last few weeks getting ready for today, I just think it's interesting that he includes both response and reaction. Because in so many of our interactions, and I'll be honest with you, interactions with my own family, response and reaction is usually where I fail best. It usually goes well if I respond well. But if I react poorly, it goes poorly. Maybe you've had that same experience in a relationship that you're in. Or even just friendships. We all know these moments. But Lloyd-Jones wants to point us to something, joy that supersedes all of that. It says joy is the response and the reaction of the soul. That, that very inmost part of us. That craving that we can't satisfy with anything else. Even as Nevaeh was just leading us in worship. That looks to Jesus to be the center of that. It's the response and reaction of a soul to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what true joy is. So perhaps rather than turning to a dictionary today to help us understand the difference in fleeting feelings of happiness and deeply rooted joy that we long for, we're going to turn to Scripture instead. We're going to look at this part of Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, and we're going to look to see what it says about joy. And I want to look to God's Word because in many conversations today, I find myself on what can it seem seem like it's a battleground. A battleground. And it's, it's not with the person I'm talking to, but it's a battleground of definitions. It's, it's a battleground of understanding the words that we're using. And I, I don't want to demonize individuals. I don't want to demonize our own language or, or make individuals that we carry on conversations with the enemy in any way. I don't want to miscommunicate that. But I just want to recognize that in in gaining understanding, in coming into maturity in our own knowledge, for, for understanding one another, to be clear in our conversations, we have to work from the same definition. Perhaps you've experienced this, that whoever has the most up to date definition guides the conversation. And isn't it good that we have God's word that transcends all of that? Where he reveals himself to us as the source of our joy. And as the source of the fruit of joy that we are called to live out toward one another. So it really kind of supersedes, it transcends anything that we see in this world. 
and how God has revealed himself to be the ultimate revelation and definition of joy. See, God's word helps us understand how joy can be found in a man who, as Isaiah states, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's actually reconciled in Christ as the one who satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotion. He satisfies my and your every desire. We were singing about this earlier. Joy that transcends circumstances. Joy that doesn't look to the trappings of the season as wonderful as they can be. But joy that looks to Jesus Christ to be sustained not just until we're with him. This is a joy that will be sustained throughout eternity as we rejoice in his work. So joy is, is something that is both deep and it's profound in the life of the believer. It, it, entires us, it, it entirely kind of consumes us. It, it becomes a part of our personality as those who follow Jesus Christ. And there's only one thing that we'll learn through Scripture that can give us true joy, and that is contemplation on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look to the New Testament together for just a few moments. And I just want to say, I'm going to kind of burn through a list of some scriptures here. Uh, These notes will be online if you want to give some further study to it. They'll be online in the next couple of days. But we recognize through the New Testament that the, the subject of joy is actually something that is, it brings presence, it has a presence in our own hearts. Joy is something that is present in our own heart. We are filled with joy and salvation for transformation in the way that we live. So we recognize from Luke 15, 7 and 10 that repentance brings joy. It's not necessarily what we think about when it comes to joy, is it? But Scripture reveals that repentance in our own hearts, turning away from things that we may have been looking to for joy, turning to look to Jesus Christ for salvation, repentance brings joy. This absolute assurance that we look for, this this assurance of what's going to happen in the future, this assurance of of the hope of glory in heaven, that brings joy to us, 1 Peter 4 tells us. God's word brings joy to our hearts. John 15 shows us that. Prayer brings joy. Prayer brings joy. I, I, I look forward to the week of prayer and fasting that we have coming up in January, that we would all experience this joy together. But here's the good news. We don't have to wait till mid to late January to experience that joy. It's available to us every moment in our own hearts that we would just pray. Can you imagine to be able to have a conversation with the Holy One that we were just singing to? That's what prayer is. It's a pouring out of our heart. It's a receiving of His heart. Prayer brings joy. What about the fruit that joy brings in the life of the believer to be a blessing to others? There's presence and fellowship of believers that brings joy. 1 John 1 points us to this. In other words, community groups matter for your joy. This isn't just a shameless plug for community groups, but I think that we would all agree we're kind of hardwired for community. And we know what it looks like to be in a toxic community. Unfortunately, All of us have experienced that in one way or another. But the community and the fellowship of believers, being here together on Sundays, being in community groups together matters. Stephanie and I had the experience with that last Sunday night with our leadership team. We uh, we got invited to crash a community group last night, and good food and drink, they help joy, don't they? But the fellowship of believers, man, 
We were laughing together. There's nothing like a good old, old school Mike Nash story to just make you laugh. Last night it was a progressive dinner with the Price Community Group. Man, we had a great time just going from home to home to home. That brings joy. And, and our own presence in those brings joy to others. That's amazing how the kingdom of God works. Those who receive and experience salvation, they bring joy, we're told in Luke 15, Philippians 4, and 1 Thessalonians 2. The salvation of others, sharing this good news that we are singing about and perhaps even here today as the recipients of, sharing that good news with others and seeing that good news take hold of a heart and call it to Jesus. That brings joy. Not only here on earth, that brings joy in the heavens. What about those that you're walking through life with? Those that you might be mentoring or, or in a discipleship relationship with? Hearing that those are walking in the truth brings joy, we're told, in 3 John 4. Fellowship with God and with others brings joy. Giving brings joy. I don't add that on as, as this weird way to like set up the offering for later. Here's what I actually would rather do. On Friday, we sent out an email, just a simple reminder for year-end giving, and the response was overwhelming. Giving brings joy, and thank you for being a joyful church in that way. It, it gives us the opportunity to, to live out these other aspects of joy in the community that we're here to serve. It's amazing to see in Scripture things that bring joy, and do you notice that we are the recipients of it. We are those who are called to be a part of participating in it, to give it away to others. But what do we receive from it? A deeply rooted satisfaction that can't be shaken by our circumstances. It's not just happiness. We will experience the highs and lows of happiness throughout this week. It's the easiest prophetic word to give in the middle of a sermon. Because we know it's true. We're going to experience the highs and lows of life. I, I, I love giving gifts to my children and finding out what they are on Christmas morning. That brings me happiness. You know, it brings me joy that they're always my child. That brings me joy. There's a chorus from an old spiritual song that I think is appropriate today. It was written by Helen Haworth Limmel, and you're going to want to remember that name. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. There won't be a pop quiz on how to spell any of it. It says this, happiness happens, but joy abides in the heart that has stayed on Jesus. So here's a question for you this morning. What has your heart stayed on? What has your heart settled on as the source of its joy? What are you looking to, leaning on, investing in to know joy at its fullest? As we just think about the answer to that question this morning, we realize that we have two in our passage, two individuals that are examples for us to learn from. We start with Simeon. Simeon was dedicated to obeying God's word. He was a man who was full of faith. He was waiting for God to fulfill his promise to comfort Israel with a Savior. He believed God's word of promise. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He was controlled by God and he was empowered to serve others. What about Anna? If you ever want to look and have a picture of true devotion and godliness, look at Anna. She's a prophetess, we're told. And she's well on in her years. Scripture says that she is 84 and she has lived as a single woman following the death of her husband for some number of years. In other words, she was married young and widowed young. It might have been around the age of 16 that she was married. And so if you do the math, you realize she has lived alone for a long time. But what is she? A picture of devotion to the things of God in spite of her circumstances. So if we have this understanding of joy in mind, and we have a little bit of background on Simeon and Anna in mind, what does this passage give us today in terms of instruction for how it is that we should live out Christian joy? Well, we realize that Christian joy is born of the Holy Spirit. Three times at the beginning of our passage, it refers to the Spirit's influence on Simeon. And I don't think that's by coincidence. We see in, in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him. It says that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. Verse 27 says that the Holy Spirit led him, that he came to this place by the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's, I don't think it's by circumstance that Luke is writing in chapter 2 of the book of Luke and is also the author of the book of Acts where in chapter 2 we rejoice in the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Luke 2 and Acts 2 are connected, not just by the same author, but by the one who wants to divinely reveal how it is that he is coming toward his people, that he is moving toward his people. Not only is Jesus coming who will be the one that will commission the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 actually begins to dwell in the believer. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is present all along, and He bears the timeless nature of the Alpha and Omega throughout all of the events of Jesus' life. It's amazing to think about that, but we realize in the midst of that that Christian joy is born of the Spirit. So here's a question we have to wrestle with. Is the Holy Spirit upon you? Well, the theological answer is yes, but I mean, are you walking in the benefit of that today? Are you listening to His leading? John 14, 17 says this, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. Is the Holy Spirit upon you? I ask that because Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Christian joy is born of the Spirit. Next, we realize from this passage that Christian joy is rooted in Christian hope. Why do I say Christian joy and Christian hope? Because I think that we realize as believers in Jesus' saving work, we are called to think and live differently. 
We prioritize things differently in our life. And so it's not just hope for someday like winning the lottery. It's not hope for someday being successful. It's not hope that someday our efforts will pay off in some way because we realize through the good news of the gospel that day will never come when it comes to this relationship with God. Not based on our efforts. That day has already come through Jesus' finished work. So it's Christian joy rooted in Christian help. Simeon and Anna were led by the Spirit of God. They were taught by the Word of God. They were obedient to the will of God. They were privileged to see the salvation of God. Early on in our Advent series this year, we looked at the things that we might be tempted to lean on or put our hopes in, things like power, control, comfort, or approval. We also looked at how it is that we're instructed to respond if that's what we've put our hopes in. Let me just summarize a 40-minute message in one line. Repent. If that's what we've been putting our hopes in, repent. Put all your hopes in Jesus. This baby that Simeon and Anna are celebrating is the same God who would reveal that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one is going to come to the Father except through him. See, this is where it's important for us to remember we were created to be near him in his presence. It's a part of the original design. It still is in there. And through Jesus Christ, we're invited to draw near into his presence and not to shrink back because of our sin. And Simeon and Anna's giving time to the leading of the Holy Spirit and they're giving time to the instruction of the word of God. And they're giving, uh, giving themselves over to their obedience to the, word, to the will of God. See, that revealed where their hope was rooted. It revealed where their hope was rooted. So where is our hope rooted today? What do our lives or what we give our time to say about where our hope is rooted today? We also have to realize that Simeon and Anna took prophecy and the promises of God seriously. Do we do the same? Do we take the promises of God seriously today? Simeon and Anna did. So we realize that Christian joy is born of the Spirit. It is rooted in Christian hope. And lastly this morning, Christian joy aches, longs, and rightly desires. Christian joy aches, longs, and rightly desires. Christian joy is a joy that is connected to our eternal future. Not our past or even our present circumstances. That's where our hope is in, or the foundation that's not shaken by circumstances, whether they're good or bad. If we were to actually kind of go beyond the New Testament Looking to the overall narrative of Scripture, we'd see that there are many times when the people of God are experiencing pain, loss, or even oppression. This is often why we would see that when there was salvation that the Lord would provide, what was their first response? It was a song of joy, a song of rejoicing in salvation. So Christian joy is not unrealistic. It doesn't require a hyper or a hypo personality because God's word gives us tools to interpret the happenings in the world around us. Even the things that we may be experiencing today, even right now where you're seated. God's word instructs us. See, it's right for us to ache when there is loss or pain. That's biblical. 
that's how we're created. It's right for us to long for justice, to long for harmony with our fellow man. That's biblical. That's how we were created. That's in the very nature of God. It's right for us to have desires for ourselves, our family, our friends, or our loved ones. And it's also right that none of those things, when they don't go according to our plan, steal our joy. That is also biblical. See, all of these things can be true at the same time because they're not based on our expectations. They're not based on our aches. They're not based on our longings or desire. It's true because it's not based on the moment that we're living in right now. It's true because our joy finds its foundation. It is based in the transcendent nature of God. The transcendent nature of the one who is born to us in the city of David, Bethlehem. In the last few weeks as I've been studying, I came across a helpful illustration as it relates to the longings, aches, and desires that we do experience in this fallen world. Somebody's come up with a great concept. And unfortunately, too many of us are familiar with this concept, and that is playrooms and doctor's offices. Playrooms and doctor's offices. Many parents bring their kids to the doctor because they're sick and they they need the doctor to see them. And these playrooms are designed to distract the children from the pain that they are in in the moment, their problem, until it is able to be resolved or fixed. And in a way, the the playroom gives them joy in a bad situation. But see, God has given us joy as a playroom for our soul. Just hang with me here for just a second. God has given us joy as a playroom for our soul, but it's more than just a distraction for us. The playroom for our soul, so to speak, reminds us of the joy of our salvation that Christ accomplished once and all for us. Our greatest need has been met, our greatest obstacle overcome, our greatest broken relationship reconciled, our deepest sickness healed. And this joy becomes a place of healing for the hurting. It becomes rejoicing for the afflicted. It becomes surety in the midst of unsettling moments in life. So let me ask you a question this morning. What does the playroom of your soul look like? See, remember that the declaration over Christ's birth is that it is good news of great joy. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus commissions his followers to go out and announce this good news. Herald the thing that the angels have said to them. Announce this good news that he is the risen king of the world. Why would he say to do that? Because Jesus knew that we all long for joy that isn't fleeting. And we're given that as a gift through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus presents us with joy before the holy God who is now our Father. And we can participate in this joy. It's a fruit of the the work of the Spirit by joyfully serving Him with our whole heart, our, our soul, our mind, our strength. See, Jesus is not born to wealth or power. We're reminded of that when it says that they were making an offering of two turtle doves. So no, it's not just from the 12 days of Christmas. It's biblical. But it's reminding us of the poverty that he took on for our salvation. He wasn't born to wealth or power even though he is God himself in the flesh. 
So when we face the good news of the gospel, we are not just facing Jesus in a manger, we are facing a holy God who does not allow for sin in his presence. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us to face God is to have our thoughts and our hearts opened and revealed. And Luke 2.34 tells us that this will result in a fall for any who are proud or opposed to Jesus. But those, those who are like Simeon, those who are like Anna, who see Jesus and respond to him with hope, oh, they are recipients of great news. See, this account is not here just as a transitional filler in Scripture. Luke 2, 22 through 38, remind, they, they invite us into something. They invite us in to see Jesus rightly, to receive Him at the level of our heart as Lord and Savior, holding nothing back because God sees and knows all things, even what we settle on or stay in our hearts to find joy. I mentioned Helen Haworth Limmel earlier. When I was talking about the chorus of the song and the heart that has stayed on Jesus, you may be familiar with one of her more popular works, one of over 500 choruses that she would write in the late 1800s and early 1900s of her life. The song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And that may not seem like a Christmas song. And that's because it's not a Christmas song. It's an Advent song. Because our joy is found in this Advent season, not just in Christ coming to earth for salvation. It is found in the rejoicing that we know that he is coming again. Jesus is our Savior who himself was satisfied and providing the satisfaction for our sins. Let me just read from the first two verses of Hebrews 12 as we prepare our hearts to receive communion together this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.